Hey, and welcome to the Australians Teach English podcast, the podcast by language learners with language learners for language learners. My name is Glenn, and I'm the owner and director of the Australians Teach English Institute. And Aussie, 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 oi, 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 might be something that you hear at Australian sporting events or sporting events where Australian teams are competing. And some time ago, we had someone who, who became an expert in different sporting events, sporting teams competing at a major sporting event, Angela, who went to Japan to work at the Olympic Games. Hello, Angela. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I've been, I've been eagerly awaiting having you back on the show <laughs> after, your, after your extraordinarily busy, busy time in Japan. And I was extremely excited to watching all of your watching all of your stories on Instagram and so on about your diff, your different adventures. And I think probably our listeners would really like to hear about some of your experiences in in Japan as well. So so just remind remind our listeners out there what what you were doing over in Japan during the Olympic Games. So. In 2019, I moved to Japan to work with the organizing committee and I was part of the digital media team. So I would work for the website. I'd write stories and cover um, anything and everything from Olympic torch relays, Paralympic torch relays, um, any events in the lead up to the Olympic Games and Paralympic Games, um, interview athletes from around the world. And then during the Olympics, it was pure pure sport um covering all the medal events during the olympic games um i got to cover japan's first gold medal um at the games which is a very special moment for japan and then during the paralympic games it was much the same with a with an added difference but i guess we'll be talking about that a bit later <laughs> so so really your job with the with the with the olympic games was was in communications is it is that is yes. that correct so, so communicating the results, communicating different stories, and it, and it wasn't just in English, was it? This was the this was the key the key part. You were working with different teams from around the world. Is that correct? Yeah. So we have to interview athletes from obviously a broad range of different countries. <laughs> how many different countries? In... Oh, there's how many countries come to the games? Like 160, 170. Yeah, and sometimes we'd also interview athletes who didn't make the Olympic Games as well. Um, I remember speaking to Vanuatu's women's volleyball team, and obviously English isn't their first language, French is, so that was a very interesting conversation to have with them, but nonetheless very exciting to speak to them about the growth and what they want to do with women's volleyball in Vanuatu. Um, spoken with people from Lithuania, Croatia, Serbia, a lot of the Balkan nations, um, people from North and South America as well, um, Africa. Pretty much we cover the around the world at one stage. Well, I mean, that's what the Olympics um, like, is all about, really, is, yeah. is people from around the world coming coming to compete. So so the, then in, in, in the Olympic Games proper, you, you were working with, with, with a a, a particular media team is that correct so yeah with our team we have a team of 
seven people for just the English website. Um, four of us were based in Japan, but due to COVID, um, we had people based in the United States and in Europe as well. Yes, and then in and the then par- and then the, yeah, and then in the Paralympics, this is probably where it actually gets more more interesting from from a from a language perspective. Well, what was happening during the Paralympics? So, unfortunately, due to COVID, we uh, were a bit short staffed with two languages, which was French and Korean. So, two members of our English team had to take on those roles. Um, one of my colleagues got French because he could speak French and had studied French and I got Korean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because you are the, you are the other person, you are the spare dick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I like to think it's because I, I like Korean music and, um, food, but I think it was because I was the other, only other option. <laughs> So I had to leave the team. You and Nigel, no friends. So you got, so you got pushed. You got pushed over there. So I had to leave a team of five Korean speakers, um, and not all of them spoke English to a level that was easy for communication. So I was speaking to them in a mixture of English and Japanese because all of them knew Japanese. And I had to build a content plan and help write the blog at some stages um, during the 12 days of the Paralympics. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do have to say I had it much easier than my colleague who was doing French because there was only 70 athletes from the Republic of Korea. <laughs> he had 160 France? something athletes wow. from all the French speaking nations. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> And I imagine the French people probably like to talk a little bit more, maybe as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they won a few more medals too, so. <laughs> so a little bit, a little bit more work for him. So, so what? So what was what was your level of Korean before the Paralympics? Then. <laughs> well, all I have learned from um, K-pop and Korean dramas is one, two, three. <laughs> Hello and thank you. <laughs> That's all I know. How do you say thank you in Korean? Um, which is very polite Korean. I don't know informal Korean. Okay, well that's going to help me because because I I I I'm a, I get addicted to kimchi. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's probably another word that you knew. But anyway, like I, I go to the Korean restaurant here, so so I might have to I might have to put that in my in my vocabulary yeah. to use at the Korean restaurant. Which means hello. So that's all I know. <laughs> all right. So, and, and, and did you improve your Korean vocabulary during this process? I think um, I improved in my ways of like reading it a bit more because obviously having to write, I could figure out where things went it's very similar to japanese of how uh-huh. the sentence structure is okay so i improved in that sense and it's made me kind of want to learn korean because it's very similar to japanese so i think after i restart studying japanese i'll move on to korean oh wow two languages at once yeah awesome so 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 actually this is Apart apart from this process, it actually motivated you to want to to learn some more about the languages. 
Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. It's very interesting that um, all the languages like Korean, Chinese, and Japanese are very similar, but um, I think Korean and Japanese are the closest and they do share some similar words. So it's a good place to start for another language. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the the, gram- the grammatical structures of a lot of the, the languages in Asia are quite quite similar. Often mm. that often there's no there's no past tense or anything like this. So so the verb tenses can be can be quite simple a lot of the yeah. time. And and yeah, they have the spoken questions and, and things like this. And so so you you learned a little bit of Japanese before you before you went to Japan, is that correct? Yeah, so I did learn Japanese until year. 10 but I've had forgotten most of that but once I got my job in Japan I started kind of restudying but with everything that was going on at that stage in the lead up to an Olympic year there wasn't much time to study once I got to Japan but when COVID hit and it was postponed I then I got to really get back into my studying and kind of got my language skills up quite fast and considerably fast um since I got to use it quite often living there. Excellent. Excellent. And, and how did you find the experience, especially in the, the lead up to the Olympic Olympic games? How did, how did you find all of that, especially with, with all the, the, the COVID precautions and, and all the controversy and, and all the noise that was happening in, in the lead up to the games? How, how did you manage all of this? What was this experience like for you? Um, I have to say, um, listening to, obviously, I listen to a lot of Australian news too, to keep up with what's happening here. But um, even just in my job, I like knowing what's going on. So seeing a lot of people saying that the Olympics will be postponed or cancelled again, I was just like, nah, they're happening. (laughs) One way or another, (laughs) they are happening. I'm going to make them Um, happen (laughs) single-handedly. And that's what, that's what we were saying, like, they're going ahead in some shape or form we don't know even until I think a week out sometimes we were like we don't know what they're exactly going to be like um it was quite stressful and we were very busy and I kind of don't really remember too much before the Olympic Games now that I think about it. <laughs> I just remember just how busy we were, how we were and just how much, trying and how, to get and how much coffee together. you were, and how much coffee you were drinking. Funnily enough, I didn't drink a lot of coffee during the Olympics. I did drink one every single day of Paralympics. <laughs> but um, your adrenaline, your adrenaline, your adrenaline had run out. Yeah. Yeah. After, after 16 days, I was like, nah, coffee is the way to go. Bottled coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but I, th- I think probably what, two or three weeks out or maybe even a little bit more, they decided that there wasn't going to be like a, a crowd at the Olympic yeah. Games, these, these sorts of things. So this really, really changed the dynamic of, of the Olympics, probably to one that, well, hopefully we're not going to, we're going to experience again. But this this probably gave you a once in a lifetime experience that that I could only marvel at with with your Instagram stories that you would you would go to watch these Olympic events and there would be no one there except other media people and my and my Australian friend there walking around the stadium. So so what was so what was this experience like? Yeah, I was very very lucky that on one of my days off. Um, I chose to go to the last day of the Olympic swimming events 
and it was such a weird experience. I've done major events before, um, 2018 Commonwealth Games. I got to go to so, so many events, including the swimming. Um, and it was such a, it's, it's very different with the crowd and then not having a crowd. With the crowd, you like kind of get into the atmosphere. Everyone's cheering for their team. Everyone's waving their flags. But then when you don't have any of that, and the only support there is media who can't really do anything or show support too much. And then the teams from the different countries. So you had like Team Australia with their kangaroos and their flags. You had the <laughs> USA shouting USA, USA. Or you had Japan, you had the um, Team China, Team Russia. It, it was a bit, it, there was an atmosphere, but it wasn't the same kind of, atmosphere you would expect from an olympic games it was like a school carnival um, yeah it was like a school <laughs> carnival <something. laughs> like, they, they try i guess the teams tried to make it as um it would usually be so you have so much cheering and hype before the swimmers get onto the blocks and then when they're on the blocks about to dive in everything just goes silent and then when they dive in you get this cheer again so in that respect, they try to make it as normal as possible, but it, it's not the same. No. And it's a bit sad when I had my Instagram stories and there's no one yeah, in the I, stadium. I just found it just weird. That, <laughs> that was sort of like, it sort of had like all the, all, the, all the Olympic sort of decorations and paraphernalia and everything with, with people and athletes and then just nothing it was very it was surreal just, it, that <laughs> just was, look. it's the strangest kind of feeling because there was an olympic games going on but it didn't feel like there was an olympic games going on like the whole entire city was dressed and draped in olympic and paralympic colors and people were quite excited about it in japan um despite what media reports said there were people outside the stadium for the opening ceremony like wanting to catch a glimpse of the fireworks. Wow. There were people going to the Olympic cauldron to try and get photos, people taking photos with the Olympic rings and Paralympic symbol. So there was a lot of excitement, but it's not the same when you go into the stadium and there's no one there. Yeah, I think even like with the marathon or something like this, I can't remember exactly what it was. They, they had to tell people to, to calm down <laughs> because yeah. there are too many people coming out to watch the marathon. I don't, I don't think they've ever had to tell a crowd don't come and watch the well, don't come and watch the marathon there's too many people watching the marathon i don't think that's ever happened in the history of in the history of sport yeah, <laughs> but, but, it, it was, but it i think one of the cuz yeah for the olympics they told people don't don't come out to Sapporo, don't don't come out to the streets but no one listened obviously <laughs> like mm. it's the olympics everyone wants to catch a glimpse of the best runners in the world and even the same for the Paralympics, but the marathon was actually run in Tokyo. So there was so many more people just out there trying to get a glimpse of some kind of marathon that they had missed out on because it was moved to Sapporo for the Olympics. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so all, all of these things that were, were very different to, to usual, but... But some things stayed the same, and that's and that's really what we're that that's our that's our expression, our little phrase for today. So 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 tell me about your experience with with this little phrase. 
uh, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. I don't think you can go to an international sporting event where Australia is without hearing this phrase. Mm. And I don't know how it happened. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how it's become this big in some ways. So at the swimming, you would sometimes hear the Australian team going, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 very, very proudly and very, very loud. And even in the where I was stationed in the um, media press centre, I had my colleagues asking, oh, what's that phrase that you guys always say? Like in Australia, I'm like, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Yeah. <laughs> so it's well known across the world that this is what Australians will say during um, an Olympic or Paralympic Games or any major event. We will proudly say this. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more of a thing that happens in in like the team events, like in law or like at the Davis Cup in the in the tennis yeah. or, or or something like or the Federation Cup. It's definitely something that you would hear more in the in the team events, not not so much in individual events. But it it is it is a it is a strange one. It, it, it for a lot of us, it, we would say it's quite cringeworthy. I think, especially after you hear it a few thousand times, you sort of think, oh. Not again. <laughs> after, after hearing it at two major events previously, I'm just like, oh, can we have a new phrase, please? Yeah. Yeah. Like we, you couldn't, we couldn't think of it like a soccer chant or something like creative that the, that the soccer fans do. Like I, I think here in Argentina, they, they have different chants with Maradona and, and all this sort of, and all this sort of, yeah. sort of stuff. And and they have or or the or 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 some of our listeners or or some people might even be familiar with the with the Barmy Army, which Barmy, is like yeah. which is the the English cricket team supporters, and they and they come to Australia with the Ashes and then they create different different songs about their about their players to support their to support their players and it's actually quite it's quite interesting because Australian spectators are don't really say anything <laughs> and and there's all these there's all these very loud all these loud palms singing and cheering and and getting drunk and whatnot and they and they think Australians are weird because we don't make any we don't really make any noise we just get yeah. drunk and start fighting <laughs> that's basically that's basically all we do so. the funny thing is one standard thing that was there throughout the olympics and paralympics for team australia was the inflatable kangaroo the, <laughs> which was named skippy, skippy. and skippy it's always skippy yeah. <laughs> it's always skippy always so you would no matter what event you were watching there was some form of inflatable kangaroo or toy kangaroo with the team <laughs> yeah or the, or the New Zealanders get the inflatable sheep. <laughs> yeah. sort of, they've sort of taken the joke as they're kind of like they've sort of repurposed it as their as their little as their little mascot for, for doing things like that. Yeah. <laughs> so like if you guys joke about this, it's okay. It's we okay. don't care anymore. We don't care anymore. We have the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> sheep are cute. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and the New Zealanders actually did really, 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 really well in the Olympics, actually. I think they were probably in terms of well, in terms of the smaller countries, I think there was what Monte Carlo or they won a medal and then and then New oh, yeah, Zealand San Marino, yeah, San Marino. They, won, they, won, they won their first ever medal 
with a population of what 30,000 people or something <laughs> and um, and and New Zealand did ex- extraordinarily well yeah covering I got to cover actually some of the um those moments um I covered New Zealand's first ever gold medal in te- tennis um Olympic tennis which was fantastic because they're so humble these New Zealand players they're like oh it wasn't our first gold medal someone won it with Australasia in the early 19 um... <laughs> so they were, they were trying to downplay their victory yeah but it's downplaying. not really important yeah. and the obviously there was journalists there that said no no you are the first New Zealanders because it was Australasia back then it doesn't count <laughs> but covering moments like that that was really quite um nice to see that the Olympic Games even though had their favorites people thought that these people would do well COVID changed so much of what we expected the Olympic Games to be there were so many more amazing moments and special moments that I think a lot of people will be inspired by for uh, generations hopefully yeah I, I think it was it was really interesting watching it watching it from Argentina and and especially here like we we had quite quite a, a strict lockdown especially last year so for for example the the, the Argentinian hockey players are, are very very well they're in the top two or three always in the mm-hmm. in the Olympics and they weren't allowed to Individually, they weren't allowed to train, let alone as a, let alone as a team. Mm. So they had, they had a lot of difficulty actually organizing a team, team to go. And I think, what did they get a, a silver medal or a, or or a bronze medal? Which, yeah, which, the, which, the women's got, the women's got like a silver or bronze, and the men's just fell short. I believe but it was still nonetheless an amazing performance exactly and 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 so when you compare that for for example the the australian teams who basically had uninterrupted training <laughs> and and fell over they had all they had all the advantages possible oh, yeah. competing <laughs> competing against teams that had had barely trained together before the olympics and and so there are all these kind of little little stories like this from from this olympics it was more than often it was more than just just the results it was actually mm. in a lot of cases actually physically getting there and and that was really the, the challenge for for a lot of for a lot of them like i remember speaking well fiji i covered the rugby, rugby. men's um gold medal match and I'm a huge fan of um, Fiji because of their story from 2016. And they had been in a strict lockdown since just before Easter. So none of these players had seen their families since Easter. They had come to Australia, done two weeks of quarantine here for an event. They couldn't fly from Australia to Japan. They had to fly back to Fiji and catch a, um, like a cargo ship with fish. Mm-hmm. and for them to go out and win this country's second ever gold medal um i i was nearly in tears like watching them celebrate and sing their song of praise to god afterwards like it's such a strong and powerful moment 
to yeah, see I, I, food I think I, I think I read somewhere that some of them hadn't seen their families in, in two years or something. Is, is, that, is that true? That something, some of them, because, some of them because, hadn't, yeah. Because they'd been playing in Europe or whatever and they couldn't, they couldn't really go back to Fiji because then they couldn't get back to Europe to yeah. play professionally. So they had to go from Europe to Japan without having seen their family for a long, long time. So, so these really incredible stories. Yeah, and then you have, I think, um, the captain, Jerry, he said, at one stage, I was ready to quit. I wanted to see my kids. I hadn't seen them in six months. I just, I was done. I, I wanted to go. But they they just blew everyone out of the water, essentially, who were able to train, like Australia and New Zealand, <laughs> especially New Zealand, who were quite, um, were big favourites for the men's competition. Um, it was good to see a a small nation with such fighting spirit win the second gold medal. I mean, F- Fiji in the, in, in the rugby, in the rugby, the sevens, is that what it's called? The, sevens, rugby, yeah. the rugby sevens. I mean, the, they're always, they're always tough. They're always tough to beat the, the, mm. the, the Fiji. They're, they're always very, very good. Side. They're very good. Very, very good. They, they, they might not, they might not be competitive in the, in the full format because they might not yeah. have a full, a full team, but their, their best players are, amongst the best in the world. So that's why they can have such a good rugby sevens team compared to, to, a, to a full rugby team where they just don't have the population to, to make a, a big team. And then Australia, Australia and New Zealand steal, steal a lot of their players to come and play for their country, which isn't really, which isn't really fair. But anyway. Yeah, typical, <laughs> typical Oceania rugby in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, happens happens a little bit. And, and speaking of, of of not seeing your family for a long time, so the reason why we're doing this interview now is that you're actually in hotel quarantine. <laughs> so so yeah. bo- bored out bored out of your brains, waiting to go back and see your see your day family. 12. Yeah, so you're day twelve yeah. of a quarantine, but you are in Sydney and your family is in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So we were talking a little bit about this process before before we we started recording so so maybe for our viewers out here you can you could all our listeners out here you can you can sort of explain the process with the Australian quarantine at the moment yeah so getting a flight to Australia is quite the lottery at the moment um I will say I had my first and initial flight cancelled and I was told five days beforehand that it was cancelled and they said do you want to go on an earlier flight I said yes please Um, anything to get home because the situation coming to Australia is it's a lottery you don't know if you'll be able to get a flight and if you get a flight if it will actually fly (laughs) so I had to pack up my life in four days after spending two years in Japan um it was quite an abrupt ending I didn't really get to say goodbye to everyone I wanted to but flew to Australia um came into hotel quarantine I'm double vaxxed and I had a negative PCR test um and you get to spend 14 days in a hotel they provide you three meals a day um and they call you every single day to check if you have symptoms and if you're staying healthy. And then if you live in a different state, like I do, 
um, because I flew into Sydney uh, and I have to get to Queensland, which has some of the harshest um, restrictions other than Western Australia and South Australia, you have to book a certain taxi to get to the airport. You have to have um, photographic proof that you have not stepped foot in Sydney and that you've only gone from the hotel to the airport. Um, you have to apply for a border pass to say that you are a Queensland resident. You have to have proof you are a Queensland resident once you get to Queensland. <laughs> and then once you get into Queensland, you still have to self-isolate until day 16 or 17, um, have another PCR test. And if that's negative, you are finally free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like probably for our listeners out there, it, it seems crazy. Like if, if you're double vaccinated in a lot of countries now, you don't really have to do the, the, the quarantine thing, but in Australia that hasn't, that hasn't changed at all. Um, and that's, that is really, really frustrating, frustrating for, for us um, still, still on the outside of Australia for, for, for me, for example, I, I was I was thinking of going back towards the end of this year, but for, for these same reasons, it's just it's still just easier to wait. Like there's absolutely no advantage to, to being double vaccinated apart from that I'm probably not going to get sick or fingers crossed I'm not going to get sick. But I would still have to pay thousands upon thousands of dollars to get back to Australia, even though there is basically zero zero risk. It it seems a little bit a little bit strange to 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 everyone but this is probably going to change over the next few months i would imagine and so a lot of the people listening out there that that are hoping to go to australia on a on a working holiday visa or a study visa or 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 a skills visa then then fingers crossed and and hold 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 tight because it's not it's probably not going to be like this uh for for too much longer we we hope yeah. Yeah, especially if you have family overseas too. My grandma lives by herself in Croatia and mm-hmm. none of us have been able to go and see her for nearly two years now. So mm. where my dad is eagerly awaiting for the border to reopen so he can go um over and see her and help her out. Yeah, exactly. Like what one of my students, one of my students here, they're well they're yeah, they're they're their grandson was born in Australia. I don't know months ago, maybe even at the end of last year or the start of this year. And they obviously haven't been able to go, go see them. So, so there are all these sorts of things, like, especially with the, with the grandchildren and then, and then people uh, raising, raising families without the help of their grand, without the help of their own parents. It's, it's it really quite quite stressful and, and and unless you have experienced these sorts of things then then it is quite hard to understand people's <laughs> frustrations um but fingers crossed people can get vaccinated and we can you know go well we can progress to our new normal whatever that is <laughs> whatever that is going to be so so what was what was your favorite moment in, in all of these two years that you, you had in Japan and, and the crazy four weeks that you had at the Olympics and the Paralympics, if, if you could, if you could think of one moment, what would it be? To me, I think one of my, oh, it's hard to narrow it down actually. Um, 
one of my favorite moments would have to be interviewing um, Tatiana McFadden. She is one of the most decorated um, USA Paralympians. And we were lucky enough to be invited to a special event pre-COVID um, to see what there would be training before um, the Olympics and Paralympics, um, the athletes. And we actually met her mum, Deborah, and she was part of the um, USA federal government. She worked there and she was like one of the sweetest women, women I've ever met. She told us the story of how she adopted Tatiana from Russia. Um, and it was just such a nice experience meeting one of the world's best athletes who was just so humble um, about her beginnings and how she just wanted to help the world become a better place for people with impairments and disabilities. And I'm a bit of a fan of Tatiana McFadden. Um, so I got a bit like shy and nervous to interview her. So um, that was definitely a highlight for me meeting <laughs> someone who is like kind of a hero to me. <laughs> well, was she the sort of person that tried to calm you down when you were interviewing her? Apparently Roger <laughs> Federer is like that as well, according to the people that I, that I, <laughs> that I've met that have spoken to him. He's, <laughs> he's a bit, he's a bit the same apparently. He's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> 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 it, it's such a privilege I, I always say this to people who ask um it's such a privilege to be able to speak to these these athletes who have such a big influence um in their respective sport and in their respective community whether that is Paralympics or Olympics and even them just saying yes to having an interview is um I get shocked sometimes that they're like yeah it's fine let's have an interview I'm really looking forward to it I was like oh okay you're looking forward to coming to me. <laughs> that, that's how I feel when I get guests on the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I asked them, oh, yeah, I'm looking for, oh, really? Great. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's, it's such a nice feeling because, and then sometimes they want to continue chatting with you um, afterwards off, as well. Off the record. Off the record. And um, I've, become friends with some of them as well now, like on Instagram and Twitter. So it's really nice to build those kinds of relationships with these athletes. Yeah. It sounds like you've developed some really, really good connections that you've, you've made some, some lifelong friends from, from this experience as, as well. I think, yeah, when, I think when I initially went into it, I was like, Oh, I don't know what this experience will hold because it's such a big event. Um, but the friendships I've made, not just with athletes, but with people within the team of the organising committee, um, I still speak to them no matter what. Some of them have called me during my quarantine. Um, <laughs> cool. <have> FaceTime. <laughs> yeah. you got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. got- and they're like making sure I'm okay. Um, we're already planning to catch up once the borders all reopen. So I'm um, looking forward to being able to see them all in person again. Fantastic. And, and so has, has, this in, has this process inspired you to, to, to look at learning more languages and, and getting sort of more involved in cross-cultural media and, and communications and, and things like this? Has this changed 
your your perspective on 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 where you are looking at your at your future now yeah it's it's when i originally signed up for it i thought oh it's a great opportunity to work at the world's biggest event and i didn't really think too much about the cultural aspects or the language aspects of it because i guess going into it you just think oh you'll just be in the english team like you'll just be covering the United States, um, United States, um, United Kingdom and Australia, the main three biggest audiences for English at the Olympics and Paralympics. But having lived in Japan um, for those two years, um, having started to learn the language, it's made me more open to wanting to live in countries that are, or anywhere around the world, I'm I'd happily move to somewhere I didn't know the language and try and pick it, pick another language back up. Um, and I think I was saying this before um, we started recording that even being part of the Korean team has made me want to start learning Korean now. Um, it would be fantastic to be able to learn or know at least three languages to a, a level where I communicate with someone on a daily basis. Um, and just to learning the cultural aspects of people from around the world, like we didn't just have English people in our team. We had people from France. We had people from Spain. We had people from South America, um, Argentina as well, um, China, Japan, having that broad sense of people from different cultural backgrounds, different languages and different societies kind of really opened my eyes as someone in their 20s to what the world kind of really is like, even as cliche as that sounds, in living in Australia, you do have like a very big um, multicultural society, but it's not the same as living in a different country and having that experience, And I guess. Yeah, Australia is like living in a bubble. And, yeah. It, <laughs> and, and, really and, 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 and unless you go to Australia, then uh, you don't really understand. I, I, I was watching a little video clip the other day about from the 1960s or something like this about uh, should should Australians learn another language and then and there was some some other immigrant there was some immigrant there that said yeah of course they do because Australians have a completely different this was from an immigrant Australians have a completely different view of life (laughs) and (laughs) and it's different to the rest of the world and so definitely they should learn another language and I thought yeah well you know, in 60 years, nothing has really changed. Australians still do have another different view of life and it's because Australians do live in a bubble. But you've, you've, had, yeah. a, you've had a great experience of, of maybe experiencing the world in, I guess, like a little microcosm. And I, I think that that is really, the, in terms of the ideals of the Olympics, that's kind of what it's meant to be like. Yeah, it's quite interesting in the sense too, because while I had traveled quite a bit before I well moved to a new country, I think I feel I feel now that traveling and living in a different in a different country are two completely separate things. And the cultural experience and understandings you get from traveling and living somewhere are just so huge and so different that I would encourage more people, whether you're from a country like Australia, the United States or the UK, to go live in another country that 
doesn't have a first language that is English and Mm. see how other people live their lives, Mm. get that kind of experience and understanding of what other cultures and what other people are like, because we live in such a close society, especially being native English speakers in certain circumstances that we, I feel like we have the superiority in some cases that we feel like we're the best, but I feel like having this rounded experience has made me more, more open-minded, even though I thought I was open-minded before, I feel blown out of the water by what I have been able to experience over the past two years. <laughs> and and what, what have you learned about people in this experience? I, when I, living in Japan, it's such a different workplace culture compared to Australia. And I understand that a lot of workplaces, a lot of people do things differently than what we we would in Australia. And I think that that's important to understand coming, even though my dad's an immigrant, um, coming to Australia in that kind of sense. It's, it's important to have these understandings that not everyone's going to have the same outlooks or the same kind of um, experiences that you did growing up. Even if you've lived in Australia, they might celebrate different holidays. They might um, have different meanings like going to, I went to, I've gone to a lot of shrines in Japan and I went to one with my Japanese friend recently. And she told me something that I never knew what, which was if you bring a five yen coin, it's um, got a special meaning of luck in Japan. So you're meant to go and put that um, coin into the, after shrine and say a special prayer. And with hopes that that kind of, that will bring you luck. And I never knew that before speaking to her because that's not something that's really shared amongst in people who aren't Japanese, I guess, uh-huh. because a lot of people wouldn't know that cultural context uh-huh. or the cultural context around how you should eat your food, um, what you should wear around shrines. Like um, the fashion kind of sense around Japan is very different to what you would wear in Australia. Um, they don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter because those are Catholic holidays. <laughs> And they don't have Catholicism as a main religion there. So in that sense, it opened my eyes to all the different holidays that they celebrate in Japan and all the things that they do that I feel like I want to bring back to my family because it's been such a big part of my life in these past two years. Well, I, I have I have a similar experience with that. Re- recently, my Chinese students have, I think a lot of students actually in Asia do this. They have the Mid-Autumn Festival. Yes, Mid-Autumn Festival, yeah. And so, so they eat things like moon pie and moon cake and, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting here talking to them about the different flavours of moon pie and moon cake. And I think I would really like to try all these different <laughs> flavours of moon pie and moon cake, get a little bit, get a little bit jealous. So I, so I think sort of the more, the, be, the more festivals and celebrations, the better, because then we can eat, then we can eat all sorts of different, different types of food. I reckon it's, I reckon it's great. <laughs> so that's definitely one thing. But one thing that I've learned from, from teaching and, and living in another country is that even though, people might have a different way of, of doing things or working or whatever. Probably one of my things is that people fundamentally are pretty similar, mm. even, though, even though they might speak another language or they have a different way of doing things. At the end of the day, pe- people generally want, want similar things. They're not, or they're afraid of the same things. And I think, I think we sort of go, go 
approach the world like like everyone is so different or or whatnot and and really when you when you start talking to people they really the 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 exterior might be different but but below all of that we're we're pretty much just just humans yeah everyone just whole lot to be happy everyone just wants to be healthy and just have the i guess freedoms that everyone else have in around the world especially so what what is your number one lesson for for our listeners out there do you think from from your experiences the number one lesson i think one of the most important things and this was particularly um one thing I learned from covering the Paralympic Games is don't don't judge someone by the way that they look. Um, I think we kind of build perceptions and it's just the way we grow up, our hidden biases, our cognitive biases, as they say, that we say, oh, that person might have a disability, they might look this way, they might come from a certain country, they can't do this, they can't do that, or they're like this or they're like that. But as you just said, everyone is a human being at the end of the day. We all kind of want the same things. We're all humans. We are all the same, essentially. And just because someone might have an impairment, they might not be from our cultural background or our racial background. doesn't mean that they aren't human. It Mm. means that it doesn't mean anything. It just means that they're a human being. No, I treat everyone the same. Yeah, I, I I I give I give classes here here in Argentina for for the disabled, or we have we have we have classes which are which are which are mixed, and I don't ask people what what their disabilities are. We just have a have a class from from zero and and whatnot. And but the interesting thing is seeing different people's perspectives, and certainly like I I really enjoy hearing the perspectives from from people that that might be paraplegic or, or quadriplegic because they have a completely different view of the world. Uh, they're much more observant of different mm-hmm. things that, that other people might not see. And so they, mm-hmm. and I think like actually, actually listening to these voices is really, 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 really valuable because you don't know what you're going to learn from, from different it, it, people. Exactly. And I, I feel like more so during this time, um, this past two years, really, not even just in Japan, but around the world, we've really let a few certain communities down with our um, outlook to health and how we treat people who might have a disability or come from certain racial backgrounds. So it's really opened the world's eyes to giving these people a bigger voice in our society. And hopefully it's sad that it took, COVID to change this um, but hopefully it's for the better and these communities can have a bigger voice um, in our media and in our governments in the future mm. yeah F- finger, finger, fingers crossed that, that fingers there, crossed. Are some, there are some positive changes in the world so so we we might we might do this last last little chant in, in a bit of a in a as a bit of a team what what do you think so i i might i might start us off here and then you can okay you can, and then you can continue for us so aussie 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 oi 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 aussie 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 oi 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 aussie oi aussie oi aussie 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 
Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> there we go. So, <laughs> so, so for our listeners out there, hopefully you weren't embarrassed. We're, we're getting bright red as we're, as we're saying this. <laughs> but, ne- but next time you see Australia in a sporting event, you might be lucky enough or unlucky enough to hear this. <laughs> so, so, so from us here at the Australians Teaching English Podcast, the podcast by language learners or with language learners, for language learners, it's us saying goodbye. Goodbye. For more information about the Australians Teach English Institute, go to australiansteachenglish.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at Australians Teach English.